Good morning. Can you hear me? Awesome. It is such a privilege to come and speak to my church family this morning. Just a great honor to get up here and share what the Lord's given me. Um, so we've been in a series on love. Got to hear from several great men of God the last few weeks. Today you get for, to hear from a young whippersnapper who's never been married, who's just starting to learn how to love. So we'll see how that goes. <clears throat> uh, let's pray and we'll jump into 1 Corinthians 13. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence here in worship. Thank you for the love you've shown us in Jesus. Please come and speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm just going to start by jumping right in to 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love. And I'm reading from the Living Bible, so it may be a little different than the version you're reading. <clears throat> I'm going to read the whole chapter from start to finish, and then we'll uh, dive into it. If I had the gift of being able to speak in other languages without learning them, and could speak in every language there is in all of heaven and earth, but didn't love others, I would only be making noise. If I had the gift of prophecy and knew all that, of what is about to happen in the future, knew everything about everything, but didn't love others, what good would it do? Even if I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move, I would still be worth nothing at all without love. If I gave everything I have to poor people and if I were burned alive for preaching the gospel, but didn't love others, it would be of no value, whatever." Love is very patient and kind, never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices when truth wins out. If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. <clears throat> All the special gifts and powers from God will someday come to an end, but love goes on forever. Someday prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge, these gifts will disappear. Now we know so little, even with our special gifts, and the preaching of those most gifted is still so poor. But when we have been made perfect and complete, then the need for these inadequate special gifts will come to an end, and they will disappear. It's like this. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child does. But when I became a man, my thoughts grew far beyond those of my childhood, and now I have put away the childish things. In the same way, we can see and understand only a little about God now, as if we were peering at his reflection in a poor mirror. But someday we are going to see him in his completeness, face to face. Now all that I know is hazy and blurred, but then I will see everything clearly, just as clearly as God sees into my heart right now. There are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Pursue the way of love. If you're taking notes, my message this morning is called The Way of Love, which is what Paul is describing here in this chapter. I don't know about you, but I am on a search for love. I'm on a quest to find love in this life, and I think just about all of us are. Uh, it's often said that many of the songs that are written are about love, and I was curious, so I looked it up. Uh, of the top 1,000 U.S. songs over the last 60 years, two-thirds of them 
talk about love and romantic relationships. It's something that's always on our mind, I think. <clears throat> um, especially on the mind of singles, probably. Uh, some of you may have embarrassing dating stories. I want to tell a story on myself. Last summer, I was dating a young woman in Washington, and uh, we talked on the phone for quite a while, and then we met up in Hood River near Portland, Oregon. And I was trying to make my best impression, for sure, uh, which doesn't always go the way you plan. We picked fruit at an orchard, and then I was driving her to a restaurant for lunch, and I was paying very close attention. She was everything, say, everything she was saying, uh, but I wasn't paying close enough attention to the road. <clears throat> So, I'm just driving on a road through the forest. I'd never been on this road before. I was going about 35 miles an hour when we came up on a hairpin curve that was hidden, and I didn't see it until we were right on it. So I slammed on the brakes and barely kept the car on the road. She shrieked, and uh, I think I scared her half to death, which is not really the impression I was trying to create. <clears throat> Searching for love is a, is a messy journey. It's full of mistakes, and we try to put our best foot forward. It doesn't always go the way we plan. Uh, last Sunday was Valentine's Day. I hope you had a wonderful Valentine's Day. Uh, my roommate called it Singles Awareness Day, which <laughs> is a nice sentiment, but it doesn't help at all. <laughs> uh, some married friends invited me over to hang out with them. <clears throat> I, I didn't, I didn't want to go. Sometimes hanging out with happy married people makes it worse. <laughs> I'm longing for love, and I think we all are. As one of my friends sang yesterday, we're all asking, what is love? Yeah, baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> Before we dive into 1 Corinthians 13 and see what God has to say that love is, um, I want to give a little background because in English, we only have one word that we use for love, but Greek had a lot of different words, and Paul was very intentional about the Greek that he chose when he talked about love. So C.S. Lewis wrote a great little book called The Four Loves, where he talks about the four Greek words used for love in Scripture. So I want to give a little overview of those. And then we'll dive into 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> the first word that um, I want to mention is storge. That's a Greek word that means affection for things that are familiar. A great example is the love that a mom has for her baby, or the love that you feel for your childhood home, the love that feels safe and comfortable, that wraps you in a warm blanket and makes you feel at home. Philia is another kind of love that the Bible talks about, it's friendship love. It's that love that comes from camaraderie and common goals. It never talks about itself, but it's content to work alongside the one that it loves. <clears throat> Eros is another Greek word for love talked about in scripture. This is romantic or sensual love. Uh, according to C.S. Lewis, a big component of Eros love is playfulness. Um, I don't really know much about Eros love yet, Maybe some married couples could help me out after service. I'm just kidding. No, don't come and talk to me about that. <clears throat> uh, Storge and Philia and Eros are what C.S. Lewis calls natural 
loves. They occur naturally in our lives. They're given by God to all of us, usually at one point or another. They're all good, and scripture encourages us to to, uh, embrace and even practice each of them. But they're each incomplete without another kind of love that God gives directly. This is the Greek word uh, agape, which is self-giving or unconditional love. Uh, Some people say agape, same thing. This love loves no matter whether that love is deserved or not. It's unearned love. It's undeserved and it's unrepayable. And this is the love that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. Just a side note, C.S. Lewis says that we all have a natural affinity for the natural loves. We love to receive storge and philia and eros, but there's something about agape that we find hard to receive because it has nothing to do with who we are and what we did to earn it. It has everything to do with love being poured out on us when we don't deserve it and when we're at our worst. So, 1 Corinthians 13. I'm gonna walk through it verse by verse. Paul ends chapter 12 by saying, I will show you the most excellent way. Verse one. Uh, If I had the gift of being able to speak in other languages without learning them and could speak in every language there is in all of heaven and earth but didn't love others, I would only be making noise. Speaking in tongues is actually a great spiritual gift. And I hope, like Paul said, that you all speak in tongues. But tongues is powerful and worthwhile and meaningful only as it's an expression of our love to God as we pray. Verse two, if I had the gift of prophecy and knew all about what is going to happen in the future, knew everything about everything, but didn't love others, what good would it do? Not much at all. Uh, I've experienced many uh, of the benefits of prophecy, receiving words of encouragement and comfort and exhortation. Uh, And I'm so thankful that that gift is practiced in God's church. But without love at the root of it and at the core of it and motivating it, it's not worth anything at all. Even if I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move, I would still be worth nothing at all without love. If I gave everything I have to poor people and if I were burned alive for preaching the gospel but didn't love others, it would be of no value, whatever. I think of a young woman named Katie. Some of you may have read her book, Kisses from Katie. She was a young woman who visited Uganda during high school and then later moved back for a year and then decided just to stay. She gave up her dreams of college and career in the US and adopted 17 orphan African children. She's an extraordinary example of someone who gave everything she had for the poor. But if it had been a publicity stunt, or just a thirst for adventure, it, wouldn't have meant, it would have meant nothing at all. It was because it was love for the kids that motivated her, that made it worthwhile. Wouldn't you agree? <clears throat> Verse four, love is very patient, full stop. Paul could have said a lot of things about love first, and this is what he chooses. I think that should give us a clue. <laughs> Yesterday, I had a wonderful chance to fellowship with Nick and Rama Osterman, and I thought I'd ask them what they learned in 32 years of marriage. I don't think 
Nick was thinking of this passage of scripture, but he said, love is patient. I'm just starting to learn how patient love is at 28. Some of you could probably preach on that for a while. Isn't God patient with us? I think God is extraordinarily patient with us in our bumbling efforts to learn his ways and love him and one another. <clears throat> love is kind. For me, kindness is something that takes the initiative. Uh, hold on, let me back up a little bit. For the people taking notes, I've got three points for the way of love in this chapter. The first one is put everything on the line for love. That's Paul's point in the th first three verses, that without love, nothing is worth everything, which should tell us that if anything else is getting in the way of love, we need to get it out of the way. Love is what counts. <clears throat> okay, so taking the initiative to show kindness. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 12, ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. This is the message translation. Add up God's law and the prophets, and this is what you get. Take the initiative and do it for them. Uh, Wednesday at my small group, I was talking with David Arneberg about our favorite candy. And my, one of my favorite candies is Almond Joy, which he doesn't care for at all. Uh, so we were laughing about it, and that was our conversation. Well, yesterday, for no particular reason at all, he showed up at my door with Almond Joys for me. Such a random act of kindness that meant so much. And that's what I would call taking the initiative to show kindness. I'm not very good at this all the time. Last week I was running errands downtown and uh, walked by a homeless man who was hobbling along with a cane and really felt the love of God for him. And I considered stopping to encourage him and learn his name and pray with him if I could. But instead I thought about all the things I wanted to get done that day and hopped in my car and continued on my way. I think it's so easy for us to be too busy to love the person that's in front of us. Love is very patient and kind. <clears throat> it's never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud. <clears throat> Which means that even when I'm driving a beat up 97 Camry, I don't think about how much I want my friend's Tesla. <laughs> I think about what I can do to serve him. That's walking in the way of love. <clears throat> Verse five. Love is never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. Hmm, I don't know about you, this is challenging to me. It's hard to live this way. I think it's a lifelong journey. Love is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Verse seven, if you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. When I think about <clears throat> places and people I've experienced this kind of unconditional acceptance with, I definitely think of Cody and Rachel Burkett. They're two people who have heard many of my darkest secrets and hardest moments 
and have unconditionally accepted me, unconditionally loved me, and always believed the best about me, even when I struggled with the same thing over and over. There's something really beautiful about that kind of love. <clears throat> I like what the uh, Amplified Translation says in verse 7. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Uh, I was on a mission trip in San Francisco a few years ago. We were handing out sandwiches downtown, and I met this older woman. Uh, I, I thought I was going there to minister to her, and I quickly learned that she was much closer to the Lord than I was, and so I started to learn from her. And she told me a story as when she was young. Uh, she grew up in the Philippines when she married a man who turned out to be very abusive to her. And she ran away into the hills of the Philippines for several days, praying and asking God if she could uh, become a nun because she wanted to serve the Lord with her life, but she certainly didn't want to be married to her husband anymore. Uh, and the way she tells the story, God spoke to her clearly and said, the best way you can serve me is to go back and love your family. Now let me be clear. She did not go back and surrender or submit to a life of abuse. She went back. She did not tolerate the abuse and the wrongdoing, but she also made a radical commitment to radically love her husband, even though he didn't deserve it. And in that case, God worked powerfully through it, and her husband got saved, gave his life to the Lord, was radically changed, stopped abusing her in any way, whatever, and they've been happily married for several decades since that time. I know, I know many stories don't end that way, but the, the power of unconditional love is extraordinary. Verse eight, love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease, where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. Paul's making a, an interesting comparison here. He's saying that the difference between a toddler and an adult is similar to the difference between how we try to love God now and how it will be when we see him face to face, which is amazing. If I think about how much Scott and Cheryl love each other or Dave and Vicki Chapner, and I think about what they were like as toddlers, and there's a big difference. Uh, and that gives us just a glimpse of how different it will be from the life we live now and when we will see the Lord face to face. We love God like toddlers now. <laughs> we'll love him like best friends then. Verse 13. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. How can we learn to love like this? That's a tough question. <clears throat> oh yeah, and if you're taking notes, third point, 
Well, first point was put everything on the line for love. Second point, take the initiative to show kindness. Third, don't quit. How can we find this love? How can we walk in this love? First uh, John four nineteen says, we love because he first loved us. John fifteen nine, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. We have to learn to abide in the love of God for us, which is unconditional and undeserved. We have to learn like Jesus did, to withdraw to lonely places and to find our strength in the place of our relationship with God. Um, there was a time a number of years ago when I went through a difficult breakup and uh, God was teaching me a lot about receiving his love unconditionally. Um, I felt like a failure in a lot of ways in that time in my life. And a friend of mine, Karen Slothauer, some of you remember her, she and her husband moved to England recently. She painted a picture and she posted a picture uh, of it on Facebook. Um, I brought it this morning. It has a lot more glitter than most paintings that I like. But what struck me about this painting is it spoke to me so much about what God was telling me at the time. That a tree doesn't strive to grow. A tree doesn't strive to bear fruit. It just rests and takes up water from the ground, takes in sunlight, and growth and fruit is what happens. That if we can learn to rest and freely receive the love of God and the grace of God for us, uh, we will find it flowing out of us. It reminds me of the concept of the Sabbath. When God created the heavens and the earth, he worked for six days and on the seventh day he rested. But if you think about when he created man, man and woman, he created them on the sixth day. So our first day was our day of rest with God. God begins by working, and we begin by resting. Uh, a, a church leader in China, Watchman Nee, once said that all true spiritual progress begins by doing nothing, where we learn not to do, but to first receive. And once we've received the love of God, we have something to give. <clears throat> Okay, I want to talk about what might be like an elephant in the room. You've probably all, you probably all know from experience that if we love anything or anyone deeply, pain will probably come as a part of that journey. Uh, C.S. Lewis in that book, The Four Loves, described it this way. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. He's just describing what we know from experience, that if you let your heart truly love something, all kinds of painful things can happen. Jesus walked among us and he loved people deeply, only to be abandoned and crucified 
by them. He knows better than any of us the pain that can come with love. <clears throat> so I'm often asking myself, how can I love deeply but keep going when those times of pain come, when those challenges come? How can we keep on when our heart gets broken? How can we love through the pain? Um, I don't know if this will mean anything to you, but I want to re read a little section of a poem I wrote a few years ago um, when I was in one of those moments. With all the life still in my bones, I plunge down. Is there strength to be found in this soil? If I'm to live, I need more than sunlit hopes and breezes. I need to wrap these roots around boulders no one sees, to reach down into fountains of love this cold world never freezes. <clears throat> still makes me cry. <laughs> There's a love of God that is available to us that this cold world never freezes. There's a hope in Jesus that can anchor our souls when all the sunlit hopes and breezes are gone. <clears throat> Excuse me. I want to visit for a moment a couple uh, men in Scripture who were challenged to give up their hope. In 1 Samuel 30, we read about uh, a situation that happened with King David before he became king and his men. Reading from 1 Samuel 30, uh, goes like this. David and his men came to the city, and they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Hear that. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The chapter goes on to say that David caught up with the Amalekites and struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. Wow. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, rescued his wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, sons or daughters, spoil, or anything that had been taken. David brought back it all. In many ways, in these, these difficult seasons, we win if we don't give up our hope. If we just don't quit. Romans 4 tells about Abraham, who faced a similar challenge. God had promised him he would be the father of many nations, but he was 100 years old, and he and his wife were infertile. Romans 4.14 says, Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. If there's anything you hear this morning, I want you to hear, don't give up hope. Don't quit. God is with you. He'll keep his promises. Hope gets us out of bed in the morning. Hope is our confident anticipation of a good future. Hope is the fuel for our daily battles. It's what sustains us. 
Romans 5, 1 through 5. I think we have that up there as well. Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. This hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. There are many wonderful hopes that we have in this life, and some of them are disappointed. Uh, But there's an eternal hope that we hold that can sustain us through all of these temporary situations. I don't know exactly what eternity will be like, but I know like 1 Corinthians 13 says, we will see him face to face. Uh, I heard a story one time about a dog that was so eager to get through a door to be with his beloved master, pawing at the door, waiting in anticipation. The dog had no idea what else was in the room on the other side of the door, but he knew that his master was there. And that was enough to fill the dog with anticipation and joy. I don't know exactly what heaven will be like, but I know my beloved master will be there. So to recap our three points from the way of love, put everything on the line for love, take the initiative and serve, and don't quit. All right, I wanna finish up today with a little bit of time for ministry, but I wanna do this a little different. Are you willing to try something different with me? So I believe that every one of you that has faith in Jesus has the Spirit of God living in you and the love of God in you. So today we're going to minister one to another. And obviously you don't have to participate if you don't like. I know there are still some concerns around COVID. But in a moment I'd like us to stand up and find someone next to you or nearby you. And what I'd like you to do is to share an area of your life or a situation in your life where you want to grow in the love of God or you feel hopeless. And then just invite the other person to pray for you in that area of your life. Submit that need to God and allow God to speak to you, encourage you, and then switch. Let the other person share an area where you want to grow in the love of God or where you feel hopeless. And then let the other person pray for you. So let's go ahead and do that. And I'd like the worship team to come back up and we can uh, have a little music going while we do this. So go ahead and uh, if you're already sitting next to them, that's fine. You can stay seated. Otherwise, I'd like to invite you to stand and find someone nearby you. And uh, this is weird, so I know it's going to be a little awkward, but uh, stress yourself. Engage with somebody and allow God to minister to you and through you.